Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch London. For more information and resources, please go to ChristchurchLondon.org. Morning, everyone. Uh, really nice to have you all here, and really nice to see uh, a lot of familiar faces uh, who've, who've moved on from Christchurch but come back because of the significance of this morning's service. And uh, just to say, too, a very warm welcome to all of you who are visitors or part of the service but don't know uh, John and Abby and therefore have a you know, possibly slightly surreal experience this morning of almost looking in on a community that is in grief. And we want you to know that you are very welcome. And I hope that what I have to say will help everybody here. Uh, however close or not we are personally, uh, or have been to John and to Abby. Thursday morning, uh, I came out of a breakfast meeting uh, to check my phone and find that it was full of texts uh, describing what had happened and the unbelievably sad news uh, that John had died. And clearly... This is sad for all of us. It's particularly sad for those close to John, his friends, his church family, his family, and most of all, of course, Abby, his wife. I've known John and Abby for uh, 10 years plus. Uh, I remember getting emails from Abby before we even started the church talking about her involvement. John appeared shortly afterwards. Uh, John as those of you that know him would agree, was a very impressive man. He, uh, I loved his smile. I loved his commitment to Christ. And I loved the rather cheeky but always respectful way in which he would probe my leadership decisions and want just that little bit more information. Most particularly, I remember him for his reaction when a factory in Bangladesh collapsed uh, upon many of its workers and his response to his increasing awareness of uh, some of the bad things in the supply chains that go towards making the clothes that many of us will be wearing this morning. And in typical John style, his response was to get rid of every single piece of clothing he owned, sort of newt the wardrobe, and to start again with uh, clothes that he was confident uh, were made in a way that did good to those who made them and everybody else in the chain, and he started campaigning and persuading others of us to do the same. We will miss him very, very much indeed. So my job this morning is to do what I can to help us think about how we respond at moments like this. What does the Bible say about loss and how we should react? And I hope that I can do this in such a way that is helpful for those of us that knew John well, but also helpful for those of us that didn't. Because, of course, one of the realities of life is that loss comes to us all. And only very occasionally, fortunately, in the sort of very unexpected, shocking way in which it's happened this week. But loss comes to us all. And the way in which we handle loss 
over the mid and the long term has a very significant effect, effect actually on our own health and on the way in which we can manage the future. Loss is a tricky thing though to manage because it puts our bodies and our minds in overload and it requires some help in terms of navigating it. And I want to read just a few verses from one of the Psalms. The Psalms are fearsomely honest. And I want to read to you a few verses from King David's life when he was grieving after his son had humiliated him and stolen his kingship and his kingdom. Uh, They'll be just up here. So David wrote this. He said, Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I am faint. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in anguish. How long, O Lord? How long? Turn, O Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. I'm worn out from groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and dismayed, and they will turn back in sudden disgrace. Let me just draw a few things from this which I hope will help us in our grief, whether it is because of the loss of John, whether it is other grief that we're carrying at the moment, or I hope to prepare and to strengthen us for when loss comes to us. First thing that's very clear from this psalm is that David is not afraid to acknowledge his loss. He's very honest about that. Of course, one of the things, and people have even said this to me this morning, I can't believe that this has happened. That is a very natural response to loss. One father who lost his son said that for the first month he found himself intuitively expecting him to walk back through the door. Now this was not because the father thought his father was not aware his son was dead. In that instance he had actually seen the body. Rather it was that his brain was taking time to get used to what was a new reality. And we have to be patient as we go through this first phase of coming to terms with what has happened. And we have to allow ourselves to face the truth until we're able to express the loss that we have been through. King Solomon, David's son, put it like this. He said, a sad face is good for the heart. And the truth is that Through grief, though it's very painful, comes healing. There's an awful lot of sad faces that I am looking at this morning. And in a strange way, that is not only entirely appropriate, but it's very good for us right now that we start with sadness and grief, just as David did. David couldn't hide from what was happening. It was undoubtedly devastating for him, but it seems that he instinctively knew that he could not allow the demands of the moment, the other demands, to stop him from facing his pain, and neither should we. Of course, 
if we don't acknowledge loss, it does build up trouble for us. Our body complains. Church leader Rick Warren lost a son to suicide recently, adult son. He said this as he reflected on that experience of grief. He said, when I swallow my emotions, my stomach keeps score. If I don't talk it out to my wife, to God, to friends, then I'm going to take it out on my body. In other words, when we don't express our emotion, it, num it can numb us into not feeling. And it leads in the end to ill health, depression, anger, bitterness, resentment, or even withdrawal from God. King David instinctively at least seems to know this and starts out very resolutely and honestly. And just to say too, to acknowledge pain, of course, is not a lack of faith. It may be that from some of us are from church traditions which emphasize the victorious nature of the Christian life. And we'll mention, talk, talk about that a little more maybe in a moment. But to express pain is not a lack of faith. When I was thinking about uh, some of these issues a while ago, I wrote to a trained counselor in the church and asked whether she had any comments on this. And she actually said this. She said, sadly, there's a misconception in our church that our leaders have got it all together and that any expression of grief will be seen as a sign of weakness or a lack of faith. She went on to say this, vulnerability is not weakness. It takes a huge amount of courage to ask for help or show our real selves in all the seasons of life. And I agree wholeheartedly. Today and the weeks ahead is an opportunity to express our grief, our sadness, our emotion to one another. But the other thing, and it's, of course, today we're not just all gathered in a place, we're gathered in church. In other words, we're gathered in the presence of God. And here, it's not just that David expresses his grief, he does it to God. He does it, and we'll talk more about this, he does it to one another. But he does it to God as well. He was not foolish enough to think, I can just get through this by myself. And if our relationships with God are to remain authentic at this point in time, then I want to suggest he needs to be part of the conversation. He needs to be part of our grief. If we, we shouldn't avoid that or compartmentalize our lives, but allow God to be present in it all. David tells God how he's feeling. As he say in verse 3, he says, my soul is in anguish. And that, that word for anguish sort of encompasses this whole gamut of emotions that many of us will be experiencing. Humiliation, anger, sadness, loss, fear, depression. Any of those could be involved in what David is saying here. And David goes on, he says, I'm worn out from groaning all night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. Some of us will be familiar with that right now. My eyes, he said, grow weak with sorrow. So to be a Christian doesn't mean we're always singing songs of triumph and victory. It means there's grace that is present. There is strength from on high that is available whatever we are going through. 
I remember one friend of mine who lost his wife in an accident. I remember someone saying of him, he is doing really well at doing badly at present. And I understood what they were trying to say. Rick Warren unashamedly said, it should have been about nine, 12 months after Matthew's death, he said, I've cried every day since Matthew has died. This, of course, is therapeutic. It can be therapeutic when we talk with another human being, but how much more when we talk to God? And that was one of the reasons why we unashamedly started with song, an opportunity to express ourselves to God. And in a short while, we will have communion together. It will give us an opportunity to pray with one another. It will give us an opportunity to pray privately or personally by ourselves. But it's involving God in the whole process. David uses three particular prayers, and it may be that for some of us, these prayers are helpful over the next little while. The first prayer he prays is, Be merciful to me, O Lord. Be merciful to me. I find it very helpful to turn to one who understands because he's experienced such great loss himself. He lost his friends, his home comforts, his dignity, his lawfulness, his physical comfort, and his relationship with his father. He was stripped of everything. So when I come and I say, have mercy on me, I know that he understands. And then David says, oh Lord, heal me. Because he does also not only understand, but he takes our pain. This is one of the reasons for the cross. He takes the pain of the world, and it includes your pain, and it includes my pain. And so I want to encourage you not only to ask him for mercy, but to ask him over time for healing in our hearts. And verse 3, David also says, How long? Oh Lord. And the truth is that when we're going through grief, sometimes that is exactly how it feels. When will this grief stop? And the truth is it changes over time, but we cannot rush the process. My encouragement to each of us is not to try and rush the process. Although, like David, we'll sometimes say, I wish that this would stop. It will change And night does very slowly and gradually turn to day. But it does take time. So David expressed himself. He said, this really hurts. And then he included God in the whole thing and he prayed to. And the third thing he did was he did it with others. Maybe, uh, Adam, you can just flip the verse up from 2 Samuel. There's sort of parallel passages which tell the story accompanying this psalm. And it becomes very clear that though This is an expression of David's individual grief. He doesn't just do things by himself. And for some of us, when life hurts, it's very tempting to shut the door and shut shut ourselves off from others. I know that has not been the experience here in the last 72 hours or so. And I know that many of you have been together. I know that you've wept together, you've talked together, you've remembered together, you've supported together. And I want to encourage us to continue to do that. Maybe, just I, maybe I can just encourage those of us who are new or who are not part of a community at present. Can I encourage you too to make sure to do your best to find one, whether it's here or elsewhere? 
because we all need a group of men and women from time to time who will support. There are times where I simply cannot get my head straight by myself. I need to talk to others. There's times where it's not like I even need words, but I just need someone else to be in the house. I just need someone else to be around. There are, of course, key moments in processes of grief. Of change, of both uh, key points of memory and so on, where we need other people around as well. So I want to encourage us all. I know for many of us, we're part of a community. Some of you who've sort of come back for the day, that's a reflection of the extended community that works out of Christchurch London. Some of us are new or visiting. My encouragement, whether it's here or elsewhere, make sure you're part of a community. We weren't made to be by ourselves. Even God the Father is not meant to be by himself. There were three, there are three in the Trinity. It's a community together. We're made in his image. We need one another and we need one another at points like this. So express your grief. Draw God in on the process. Make the most of this rich gathering of men and women together. And fourthly, and I'm sure this is something we're all aware of, but we're reminded at times like this of the fragility of life. Truth is, we live as if we're going to live forever. None of us, I suspect, prior to Thursday at least, lived the last week thinking this could be my last. And yet when something like this happens and when we lose somebody like John, we are reminded of the fragility of life. And I couldn't fail to see the significance and it was one of the many thoughts in my mind on Thursday, on Thursday morning that this week we start an Alpha course. Well, we start Alpha courses, three of them in fact. And I was reminded personally that we are not playing games in terms of our faith. And the truth is we will all die. And therefore being reconciled to the love of God is just a big deal in the whole thing. It's one of the things, of course, which gives us such hope and confidence regarding John at this point in time. We know where he is. We know that he has a whole perfect body. We know that he gazes on the Father uh, in a way that you and I have not experienced. And we know that he now rules and reigns. We one day go to rule and reign with Christ. He has gone ahead. And that gives us huge hope and huge confidence. But I just want to say, and this isn't the preacher preaching or the church leader wanting to say something about Alpha. That really isn't it. It's just I'm telling you what I thought on Thursday morning. This stuff matters. Faith is a huge part of life. It is so different for us because we have a relationship with the Father, with God. So I'm just saying, let's bear that in mind this week. And let's look for those opportunities. As we love those around us and we have friends who haven't got that sure and certain hope, let's be thinking about that as well and where it's appropriate, make use of Alpha this week as a result. Finally, David anticipated hope. 
And you can see this actually building through the psalm. I'm not going to walk through the whole psalm right now, but just to read verse 10 again. He says, all my enemies will be ashamed. We're aware of the big enemy of death this week, aren't we? Feel like we've been robbed, been stolen from. All my enemies will be ashamed and dismayed. They will turn back in sudden disgrace. David, going through the grieving process, starts to feel this sense of hope or resurrection. I, he doesn't know it's resurrection. There's no teaching on resurrection in that, in the old, very little in the Old Testament at all. But somehow, intuitively at least, he anticipates the breaking of death. And he wouldn't have been able to explain it as we now know it, that Jesus came, lived a perfect life. Nailed to a cross illegally. Dies, gives up his spirit. And then rises again. Three days of darkness. For those of us that feel in darkness right now, it's an authentic experience of both testaments. The disciples had three days of utter, rancid hopelessness. They stumble across an empty tomb. And the implications of what they see wrapped up grave clothes and an empty tomb, travel sort of through the neurons of their mind faster than they were ever going to be able to process. They just look at it. They cannot believe the fact that the stone has been rolled away, there are no soldiers and there is no body. And they just look and then they run. And they run because they have their utter hopelessness has been turned into extraordinary good news. And so whilst we grieve today, and, and that's the focus, that's entirely appropriate, we know too that it's as if with the disciples we do get to look and there is an empty tomb and it reminds us of three things which I just want to finish with. Firstly, there is a new age coming. And there will be no suffering. And there will be no pain. And there will be no tears. And we will all be made new as he makes this whole thing new. Beautiful and desperate as it is right now. Well the desperate will go and the beauty will be magnified. And that is our hope. Because of an empty grave. And I want to just ask you, beseech you from the bottom of my heart not to lose that hope in the challenge and the difficulty that for some of us lies ahead. Second thing, I've already said this, but we will see our brother again. We will see John again. We'll see that cheeky smile. He will welcome us with open arms. And we will rule and reign with God in a new heavens and a new earth with fulfillment, satisfaction and responsibility like you have never experienced it before. And he will be the same and it is that that we look forward to. And in the meantime, in the meantime, we're told to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, Lord, could we have more of that perfect life now, please? And bit by bit and little by little, we get to do that. And 
For me, John was a constant provocation to living a better life, to reaching for more. The John I knew, at least, was not satisfied with the status quo. He wanted more. And he was always egging me on. What about this, David? What about that? So, and all of that, in my mind, is summed up in more your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so my encouragement too, as we go through this grieving period, is to recommit ourselves to the cause. The cause is to glorify Christ. And the cause is to bring heaven to earth. Not in perfection before the end comes, but in ever increasing measure. Whether it's by a gentle touch, a loving smile, prayer that sometimes has weight written all over it, And occasionally, to our utter surprise, something magnificent happens as we pray. But that in it all, we know that despite the fragility of life, there are new beginnings, and they will come. And we will get to experience them. And if I can say this on a day like today, they will be better than we could possibly imagine. In a minute, I'm going to ask us to stand. I'd like to pray for us. I'm going to ask Johnny to come back. You will have to excuse me. I am due to preach at the next service otherwise. And uh, right now, I would want to stay here. And I would want to pray, and I would want to worship, and I would want to be with everyone. I will need to go. But Johnny will lead us, and Tim will lead us. And there's an opportunity for communion. And there's an opportunity for prayer. And there's an opportunity for sadness and for grief. But all of it remembering, a better time is coming. Let's stand together, shall we? Johnny and Ben, maybe you can come back. (coughs) Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us and we ask that that goodness and love may be so present amongst us, your hurting people, this morning. I want to ask that your spirit would feed thirsty and hungry people today. And Lord, by thirst and hunger, we're talking about what we're living with in the depths of our hearts. And we pray and we know that you are sufficient for that. And so we pray for your grace upon us. We pray for your goodness to be here. We pray that you would be with this group of men and women today. We ask, Father, for John's family. We pray for Abby's family. We pray for Abby. We pray for your grace and your sustaining power upon them. We pray you would rest upon us all and you would strengthen your little ones today for the glory of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or for further podcasts and downloads, please visit ChristChurchLondon.org.